This week on Grape Encounters Radio. We are Napa quality, if not better than Napa. I'm going to say right, we now, are now better you, than now Napa you're, quality. You know, okay, all you right. can tell well, she's in the marketing department. Yeah, and by the way, we are heard loud and clear in Napa and Sonoma. So somebody's going to throw down the gauntlet. Peel me a grape, crush me some ice, skin me a peach, save the fuzz for my pillow. And it is time for your weekly grape encounter. I'm going to tell you what I have been looking forward to doing this particular story for months now. And I'm telling this story because I think it is such a great example of everything that we preach here on Grape Encounters Radio. You might remember a couple of months back, I did a blind tasting, which I do very often with Sarah Schneider of Sunset Magazine. But this particular blind tasting, we had Ian Cobble, the master. Psalm and star of the movie Psalm with us. And I was just curious to get both of their opinions of a wine that I like to take credit for discovering because I wondered if it was just me or if this wine was something of an anomaly because it comes from a place that is not typically known for fine wine, though they grow a lot of grapes there. And we'll get into that in just a moment. But it was strange to me because I tasted this wine at a festival. I literally did somersaults. I tried this wine on a number of different people. And I shouldn't say this wine because there were multiple varietals and everybody had the same impression. And it was really proof positive that you can't always rely on the location a wine comes from as a test of whether or not the wine is a great wine. Because there are some big surprises out there. And I've always encouraged you to go out and seek out those opportunities. The wine is made by a small winery in the Central Valley of California. It's called Cardella. So now you might hear the birds chirping in the background. You might hear the gentle breeze blowing. And I am sitting in one of the most beautiful settings in the garden area of Cardella Winery in Mendota, California. And joining me are, first of all, two of the namesakes of Cardella. It's Nathan Cardella. And Nathan is the winemaker, among other things, and welcome, Nathan. Hi, thanks for having us. Uh, this is fantastic to be talking to you. What are all your titles, by the way? Well, I'd be the winemaker, vineyard manager, sometimes the janitor. The janitor, okay. <laughs> we, we all do a lot. We wear a lot of hats around here. And then we got sitting next to you, your dad. Yes. And that would be Rod, and you are the president, CEO, and what else? I sign the checks. Oh, okay. Signs the checks. So you write the checks. And then finally, we have Suzanne Palazzo. And I said earlier that I was responsible for discovering the winery. Of course, you guys discovered the winery. You created it. But Suzanne is the person who, at a wine festival, literally grabbed me by the arm and insisted that I taste this wine, even as I was insistent that I didn't have time. And the truth of the matter was that I saw that it was a Central Valley winery, and I didn't follow my own rules. I kind of passed judgment thinking Central Valley is a place where they grow bulk grapes, you know, and not in any way to disparage the big producers. They make really mighty fine wine for the 
of money, but it wasn't the sort of thing that I'm typically into. And Suzanne, you did everything but tackle me. I did. And we have the same reaction from a lot of different people that come by, walk by, run by. I'm out there almost like a circus entertainer telling people that just because it says San Joaquin Valley on it doesn't mean that we don't produce phenomenal wine. Now, what circus entertainer are you? Are you the ringmaster? I am or are you more master. like Cirque du Soleil? I've never thought of it that way. Uh, but you could be. I could be. Yeah, okay, I good, could good. Be. But that's what I like to do. I like to bring people in, whether it's grabbing them by the arm or tackling them out in front of our booth, to bring them in and taste our wine and let them know that, yes, Cardella Winery out of the San Joaquin Valley, the Central Valley, has incredible wine. And actually, it's really beautiful here, where we're sitting right now, as beautiful as any winery that you can go to. Again, the, the reason that we're here today is because there are several things that I preach on Grape Encounters Radio that I think are so important. And, you know, some of you who are listening, many of you who are listening may live in a state where you wouldn't be able to buy these wines anyway, although in most states you are going to be able to get them. But that's not really what this story is about. This story is about innovation. This story is about not being judgmental, not worrying about the location a wine is made in, or even if it's true to varietal character. This is about finding wines you love at a good value and really seeking out those gems that are out there. And, you know, Nathan, I think it's safe to say you drink a lot of wine from a lot of different places. You probably are as in tune as anybody would be into how many great boutique wineries are out there that are never going to be talked about because the only real business they do is just with the people who come into the tasting room. Yeah, it's most of them. And, uh, you know, right now that's the boat that we're in is we're making these great wines in this obscure area and no one knows about us. But, you know, that's kind of what we enjoy here at Cardella Winery is teaching people what we're doing, telling our story. We think we have a great story to tell. Uh, We've been doing this, well, our first commercial crush was in 2004, so we're going on 12 years of commercially making wine. I'm kind of a mad scientist in the vineyard, mad scientist in the winery. It's taken a long time to figure out what works for us. Suzanne shared with me a quote from a listener, actually. And when I shared the wines with Sarah Schneider and Ian Cobble, we just talked about it because I just thought the wines were interesting and I just wanted to get their impression of the wine. But then one of the listeners almost immediately on our word ordered up, you know, like six bottles of the wine and then wrote a glowing review of the wine. How fun is that? That's exhilarating. I mean, we see all the orders. They come through on our smartphone and we can see their comments when they place a review. And like we were talking about before, the program is I'm seeing a lot of new orders from new places that we normally don't get. And it's uh, really, really exciting. You guys have been a great catalyst for us. I want to say this, that I'm not somebody who easily endorses a product. I'm very fussy in particular. But the reason we're even talking about Cardella today is the fact that it fits the profile of everything that I believe a wine should be. It's delicious and it's a great value and it's going to be a crowd pleaser. It doesn't matter who I pour it for. They're going to love these wines. And I'm sure, Suzanne, it's an easy sell for you. Oh, it is an easy sell for me. I enjoy all of the different uh, events that I go to, all of the different pourings, even if it's our open house. I love telling our story. I love talking about all of the wine. I love talking about the family and everything that goes into making great wine. Rod, she's talking about the family behind your back. But in a good way. What do you want me to say? (laughs) (laughs) Well, what I really want you to say is tell listeners your main business, because your main business isn't selling fine wine. 
our main business is raising grapes for some of the larger wineries. Can and you talk about some of the names that you raise grapes for? Is that okay? Mainly Gallo. Mainly Gallo. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which, by the way, and I say this often on this show, sometimes, you know, people remember the days when Gallo was a cheap jug wine. But the truth of the matter is, and I think, Nathan, you'd probably agree, most winemakers often pay homage to Gallo because of how much they've done for the industry. Yeah, they have made wine and, and everyday beverage for people in America. Um, you know, it actually, what drove home the point to me on how important Gallo was is when I was in Italy and I saw the imported wine section and it was all Gallo brands. And I thought, <laughs> you know what, that just shows how powerful they are and, and how, how well they've got their name and their brands out there because they do have several brands. And, and they do have a lot of high-end brands out there. They have several there. high-end brands. Most people don't realize when they're drinking Gallo branded wines. And I'm very happy that Gallo produces really nice wines at a great price point because that's introducing more people to wine. So they've been excellent for the industry. Yeah, I think if they don't have your respect, they should get your respect. And other companies like we've had on the show, the founders of Barefoot Wines, which actually, by the way, is now owned by Gallo. But the Houlihans have been on the show. And, you know, sometimes people will scrunch up their face when I say Barefoot just because they know it comes in a great big bottle and, you know, or you can get it in a great big bottle. But the truth of the matter is it's an incredible feat to make a million gallons of wine, sell it for $6 a bottle, and have it taste pretty yummy. Anybody want to weigh yeah, in on and, that? Yeah, and you know, we're growing grapes. Uh, you know, we have Pinot Grigio here on the ranch, and it goes under the Barefoot Pinot oh, Grigio does. label. And, I mean, it's fascinating to see what they can do with these grapes. And, and you know, it's unfortunate that they're not promoting the grapes are from the San Joaquin Valley, because I think that that really could do a lot for our image here, letting people know that we can produce fantastic wines here, even at the lower price point. I think what we're doing at a higher price point with more care and attention in the vineyard is even more impressive. But, you know, we've got a bad reputation here in the Central Valley. I don't think it's necessarily warranted, at least for my generation. Uh, but I think it's changing. And but 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 I think if, if you say bad reputation, I think you're saying that in the same vein that somebody might talk about McDonald's, which I happen to think is a pretty darn good sure. business. Yeah. You know, they consistently make a decent product, but it's only a dollar or two. Right. You know, and that's not bad. It's just not what we would call classy, right? It's not sexy. Okay, so when we come back, Ron, I want to dig into your head a little bit and see what it took for you to go from being a pretty large grape farmer to fine wine producer. Well, my son graduated from Fresno State in enology, and I think in order to get him out here at the ranch, I had to find something that he liked to do. So this was a bribe? <laughs> well... Maybe. Maybe. That's one way of yes. looking at it. All right. We're, okay. So the, Nathan says yes. We're going to hear more about how this all came to pass. We are at the Cardella Winery in Mendota, California, not Mendoza, Argentina. But I'll tell you what, certainly producing wines here on par with the best of Mendoza. So you guys stay with me. And this is going to be a very interesting story for listeners. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters. As most of our listeners probably know, Grape Encounters Radio is based in Atascadero, California, in the heart of the Central Coast wine country. Though we broadcast from all over the world, you have to call someplace home. And we've chosen Atascadero because it's the epitome of what wine country living should be. It's also the gateway to a broad range of awesome wine country experiences, including one of the very best wine festivals you'll ever attend. That wine festival is the Atascadero Lakeside Wine Festival, which will be taking place on Saturday, June 25th 
but will be preceded by the Mayor's Winemaking Dinner on Friday the 24th and followed by Sunday Fun Day, where local wineries, breweries, and cideries will be offering big discounts and waiving tasting fees when you show your festival ticket. No matter where you are, I think you'll find this an event to really remember, and I will personally be there to visit with you and help you navigate our amazing wine country. For more information, log on to atascaderowinecountry.com. For Grape Encounters listeners who also enjoy our podcast, you probably have noticed that it's not been available on iTunes for the past few weeks. That's because iTunes has adopted more stringent policies that made it necessary for us to make a significant number of changes to our podcast feed. These changes took a lot more time than we had hoped, but we are very pleased to tell you that the work has been completed and all 350-plus past episodes are there for you to download and enjoy. We hope that you'll take the time to subscribe to our podcast, but also want to remind you that if you ever miss an episode on this station, you can find it at the beginning of the following week at GrapeEncounters.com, the online home of Grape Encounters Radio. There you'll find links to our online store, photos of the folks we interview, links to our favorite content, and a lot more. Grape Encounters is much more than a radio show. It's a lifestyle purely for the love of wine. Visit us at GrapeEncounters.com. Like certain wines, he's syrupy, sweet, and has long legs. Here's David Wilson. To harvest forever Our dreams of the San Joaquin we are back with Grape Encounters Radio, and I am so glad to finally get the chance to do a story from the Cardella Winery in Mendota, California. This is such an interesting story because we're talking about an organization that has two arms to it. On one hand, a pretty large grape grower for some of the best known names in the commercial wine business. But then on the other hand, a fine wine producer. And why that's interesting is because this region is very well known for mass production, but not known at all for fine wine production. But it begs the question, why not? So we're talking to Nathan and Rod Cardella, father and son, and then Suzanne Palazzo, who is the sales manager, runs uh, actually about seven or eight other aspects of the business. Rod, we started to talk a little bit about why you started the fine wine part of the business. And I've talked to many, many pioneers who were first to plant grapes in certain regions and do things that had never been done before. You're a bit of a pioneer yourself because you made the decision to side-by-side with bulk grape production to grow grapes and make wines of a completely different stature. Why? It's a big gamble. Well, it's a big gamble, but you have to realize that in this area, which I happen to think is some of the finest land around, uh, we can grow onions, we can grow tomatoes, we can grow cantaloupes, watermelons, garlic, almonds, cotton. There's all kind of things that we can grow here that they can't grow in other parts of the country. We're growing grapes, and so I decided with Nathan going to Fresno State, graduating in enology, why can't we make a first-class wine? But the name of the game in the bulk wine production business is tonnage, right? Yes. I mean, you want to get as many tons per acre off of your vines as you possibly can. 
it's a completely different story in fine wine. And people are always kind of shocked to hear about grape growers who actually drop fruit, which means to go in and cut off clusters and let them fall to the ground so that those clusters don't squeeze the life out of the plants. You're paying money to drop money on the ground. Right. But when you're making wine, it's necessary. But it's so counterintuitive, isn't it? It's very, yeah. it's, even though you know it's better for the quality of the fruit, it's a very difficult decision to make. And it's very hard to determine where you stop. Just because you take it down to two tons of the acre doesn't mean that you're any better off at four tons of the acre or eight tons of the acre if your vineyard normally goes 16 or 17 tons of the acre like what we have here. So let's put it in perspective. How many tons per acre would be a great year for bulk wine production? And how many tons per acre is, you know, sort of the sweet spot for fine wine production? Well, as far as my side of the story, it depends on the variety. Like your Grenache variety can do 20 tons to the acre. No! Oh, yeah. No! There's or no, more. There's no color. There's no flavor. No! Uh, seriously! Oh, no. I'm telling you 20 tons per acre. The Barberas can do 15, 16 tons uh, very easily. The French Columbards can do 20 tons easily. There's varieties out there with uh, some of the new ways of uh, training them. They can do 30 tons to the acre. No, really. So, Nathan, what are we talking about for fine wine? Yeah, mine is probably two to three times what that number in your head is. I've found that our best quality to yield ratio is right around seven or eight tons still. Uh, Now, for those who don't have a perspective on that, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but if you were talking to grape growers in Napa, Sonoma, three tons... Right. They can't be, comprehend eight tons. They, they three say, tons would be a nice number, right? That's right. Yeah. And, and, and you're saying and you, you eight get tons. eight tons. And, and remember, I'm dropping eight tons onto the ground. Oh, my gosh. What can we do with that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I've got some ideas, but uh, they've never came to fruition. Okay. So that's just absolutely staggering to me. Yeah. You know, so that really puts things in perspective. But what's really amazing about what you're saying is the Barbera is the wine that I have poured for other master psalms. I've poured it for hundreds of people because we actually serve that wine in the Grape Encounters Emporium, you know, our brick and mortar wine shop. The idea that a wine of that caliber, and we're talking about a gold medal winning wine, right? On several occasions, yeah. So, so where have you got golds from? Oh boy, obviously Sunset Magazine, we, we've got the gold medal and I know we've got several 90 plus ratings on our various vintages of Barbera. And you got to remember too, when we talk about eight tons to the acre, uh, we hand harvest all of this fruit. I'm leaving probably 30% of the fruit behind also. You know, it's like picking out your produce at the supermarket. Don't take anything that doesn't have perfect color. Don't take anything where there's sunburn. Don't take anything that has raisins on it. Don't pick it. It's okay. Don't worry about the quantity you're picking off the vine. Worry about the quality. Just worry about the quality. And if it's it's three tons, fine. If it's eight tons, that's fine too. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's interesting to note too, the, the importance for us to hand harvest the fruit. It's costing me about $200 a ton to harvest my fruit, which maybe that doesn't sound like a lot to people, but the way we traditionally harvest out here for our bulk wine program is with machines where we can do that for about $10 a ton. So, I mean, it, it really is wow that important to me. All the work we do throughout the season in the vineyard that we protect that investment by hand harvesting it. Suzanne, let's talk about awards for a second because you're the person who actually encouraged Rod and Nathan to enter some of these competitions. Just how well have the Cardella wines performed? Because I do judge some of these competitions. I know the caliber of the judges and 
for a wine to do as well as your wines are doing at competitions like Sunset International or LA International or San Francisco Chronicle or, you know, these big competitions, that's really quite a feat. It is quite a feat. And we actually enter the Sunset competition every year and we have obtained gold medals from not only Sunset Magazine, but the San Francisco Chronicle International Wine Competition, the San Francisco International Wine Competition. I enter as many as possible, and I think it's to our benefit. We just have outstanding wine, and we love to share it with as many people as possible. We want to go for the gold. We want to go for best of class. It's very important to us. You know the the old saying about a silver, it's like kissing your sister. You know, it's just... Now, have you kissed your sister? Uh, Maybe when I was a kid. When you were a kid, but it was purely platonic. I kissed my daughter a lot. Okay, well, that's... All right, that's okay. (laughs) At the uh, California State Fair, I think it was three years ago, so it would have been our 2011 vintage Barbera. We actually took home best Barbera in the state of California. It went up against, I believe, 20 or so different Barberas throughout the state. Ours was half the price of the second least expensive wine on there. Ours was still half the price. Your Barbera is purely spectacular. But the funny thing is, is what lured me to Cardello was the Barbera. I hadn't tasted anything else and then started tasting some of the other wines and went, oh my gosh, because one after another after another was amazing. And one of the things that Ian Cobble and I talked about was the notion that if one winery can do it, then many can do it because the environmental conditions are everything. And, you know, all things being equal, this area could be poised for something really spectacular. Do you think so? Uh, I've been thinking that not necessarily the first couple years we got into this, but now that we've been doing this for going on 12 years, I definitely believe that. It's a slow process. Um, But, you know, when you're making varieties like Barbera, Sangiovese, Ruby Cabernet that do a great job of holding on to their acid in our warm climate, you you can make great wine. You need to pick the right variety for your location. Now, these varieties we already had planted because we were growing for Gallo. I think Gallo knew what they were doing when they offered contracts for these varieties. It is hot here, but that does not mean if you farm the grapes properly and you make the wine correctly, you can't make a, a world-class wine. You know, it's not just hot here. This place makes Dante's Inferno feel like an ice chest. Only three weeks out of the year. Y- yeah, right. Okay. Hey, listen, we're at uh, Cardella Winery where there is magic happening. I truly mean that. We're going to return with Nathan Rod and Suzanne and talk more about growing fine wine and bulk wine grapes side by side and doing a great job at both when we return with Grape Encounters. Living in and broadcasting from one of the world's finest wine regions makes it virtually impossible not to make frequent references to the multitude of amazing things going on here on the central coast of California. Grape Encounters Radio has built one of the world's most unique wine bars so that you can have the opportunity to come to the city of Atascadero and enjoy great wines and equally good conversation with me and other visitors. Best of all, my favorite hotel in the area is literally right across the street, the historic Carlton Hotel with accommodations that are both beautiful and affordable. The Carlton Hotel takes you back to a glorious time in California history. And now that the wine industry has ushered in yet another exciting new chapter here on the Central Coast, you can experience the best of then and now. Book your accommodations at the lovingly restored Carlton Hotel in Atascadero. Then, let me help you plan daily excursions that will create a lifetime of unforgettable memories. You'll find a link to the Carlton Hotel at GrapeEncounters.com. A lot of people ask me why Manzanita Manor's incredible Portuguese dessert wine is called Two Horse. Well, the reason behind the name is as extraordinary as the wine itself. 
It's because the owner and winemaker at Manzanita Manor Organics actually uses two beautiful horses to pull the plow on her farmland. When you take your very first sip of the Two Horse Vineyard's irresistible dessert wine, you'll immediately experience the winemaker's unparalleled connection to the land. It's what really makes it so good. You can purchase this exceptional wine online, as well as their purely delicious walnut oil, 100% organic heirloom walnuts, and free trade chocolate-covered walnuts. To learn more about all the Manzanita Manor Organics products, visit mmorganics.com. You can order all their walnut products there, and bottles of two horse, of course. Purchase and shipping subject to state and local regulations. Please see mmorganics.com for more information. He's setting down the wine glass and picking up the microphone. Here's your Grape Encounters host, David Wilson. Down in the boondocks. Down in the boondocks. This is such a great story. I just can't tell you how excited I am to be at the Cardella Winery, which is, let's just say, this is the definition of the sticks. You got to drive a long ways to get to Cardella. It's a long ways from everything. To put it in perspective, a lot of people may be familiar with Fresno, which is one of the largest cities in California. This rod would be, is it north of Fresno? It's above Fresno, but... We're, we're west of Fresno. You're west of Fresno. 50 miles. 50 miles west of Fresno. Yes. So if you thought Fresno was way out of the way, this is super way out of the way. Have you always lived off the beaten path? I've always lived in Fireball or Mendota, so I've lived in this area. Yeah. And we're not that far. I mean, we're basically halfway between San Francisco and Los Angeles. Okay, but that's a long distance. <laughs> we're talking hundreds of miles. So how many acres of grapes are planted for your bulk grape customers? We have about 800 acres of grapes. 800 acres. Wow. I was going to say that's a ton, but no, that's more than a ton. I'll put it this way. With four machines, it takes about a month and a half to two months to harvest it all. You know, working nine-hour shifts, seven days a week. And one ton of grapes, you can make 160 to 170 gallons of wine. What are we talking about in terms of well, the amount of, yeah, uh, of wine that's made from just this property? Let me put it this way. Gallo can take the whole 800 acres that we have and take it to their winery and dump it and crush it in one day. Wow. That's how big Gallo is. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. Now, one of the things that really had me scratching my head, Nathan, you were talking about that it might take a, a month or so to bring in all of those grapes. In the fine wine world, hours matter. That's right. You know, and, and we're talking about, okay, the grapes are right. Now, you might take two or three or four or five passes through the vineyard, you know, if you're fastidious. But still, we're talking about got to get out there, got to get them in that day That's in right. many cases. We, but you can afford to wait a little bit longer, and there's more flexibility when we're talking about bulk? We're a lot more particular, yeah. You know, we're starting a lot earlier in the morning so we could take advantage of the fruit coming to the winery cool. Um, and you talk about going through the vineyard several times to harvest, and, and actually we, we do that, but we do that for a different reason. Take any variety that we produce. We'll actually split the harvest up into two or three different harvest dates. Gotcha. And I'm doing that because I want different flavors in each harvest so that uh, we can produce the wine 
in separate lots with different types of yeasts and really just build up the complexity in the wine for the final blend. So by having three different harvest dates for one variety, you have three different maturity levels, three different acidity levels, and your, your flavor profile, your aroma profile will be different. We ferment it separately. Maybe one lot we ferment hot, one lot we ferment cold. And, uh, you know, literally by the time the wine has made it to the barrel, one variety of wine will have been fermented perhaps nine different ways. And, uh, wow. and we do that in the name of complexity. And my goal has always been to make wines that are intense with lots of complexity and that are balanced. And uh, that's and, how we and, get the complexity. And the one thing that I think is, is true of your wines, great fruit. Not grapefruit. Right. Great fruit. And I think that that is a testament to our climate. You know, people say it's too hot. But that's how we get the ripe fruit flavors. You know, we don't have pyrazine issues. We don't have terribly herbaceous wines uh, like you might find in some of the cooler climates. We don't really struggle to get sugar. We don't struggle to get ripe flavors and aromas. You know, we do have some difficulties getting some of the more tropical aromas that are more associated with right. cooler climates. But I can harvest earlier and, and get those. So if you know what you're doing in the vineyard, you, you, you can get those aromas and flavors that are normally typical of the cooler regions. When did you guys come to the epiphany that maybe we're on to something here. I don't know. I mean, maybe we're not there yet. I don't I don't know. Oh no, you're 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 you definitely there. I'll, yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll tell you what it is. When we have our big wine club parties every year and you can walk around and you don't recognize a single person, that's kind of when you know. The first couple of years No, that you, usually means that you've been drinking too much of your own wine. <laughs> well, that, yeah. how many acres rod are planted for your Cardella brand, your own brand versus for companies like Gallo? We only have about 15 acres. That's it? Yes. But you're making, Nathan, how many different wines? Uh, I produce in any given year between probably 8 and 12 different wines. Holy smoke. Yeah. That's we, amazing. And we're only talking about, you know, a small number of cases, right? Yeah. You know, we, we were talking Malbec uh, before the program, and I only made 100 cases of that. I got two-thirds of an acre planted. By the way, Malbec. this Malbec is terrific. Thank you. It's I, terrific. Yeah, it's pretty uh, nice. Let me just mention some of the wines that I love here. We've already talked about the Barbera. That's just purely scintillating. The Sangiovese, which is generally the main ingredient in Chianti, Chianti, right? If you like Chianti, you'll love Sangiovese. And your Sangiovese differs, I think, from a Sangiovese that you would get from Italy because you got more of that luscious fruit yeah, it's in, not, in the wine because of the hot climate, right? That, yeah, that's right. It's not dusty, and there's not a ton of pencil lead in there, which is you know characteristics I get from Italian Sangiovese. But yeah, lots of bright cherry, bing cherry, red fruit, uh, ripe plum. And then, of course, our barrel aging program always gives it the right amount of vanilla you know, from the oak. You know, Sangiovese is pretty popular around these parts uh, because we've been, we're pretty well known for our Sangiovese. Well, you also have a bunch of Italians around here yeah, too, don't you? Yeah, there's a lot of paisons here. Yeah, that's Yeah, right. exactly. Now, you guys, of course, are Irish. Cardella, a good Irish name, right? Card uh, those are fighting words. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. All right. So who can outdrink the other, Italians or Irish? Okay, we're digressing. Never mind. Yeah. Okay, so... That's uh, not politically correct. Okay, so really quickly, other varietals? Uh, Sangiovese, Barbera. Ruby Cabernet. All right, let's, let's talk about Ruby Cab for sure. a second because that's a hybrid. You know, the, from from my understanding of the story of Ruby Cabernet, you actually have to go back way back, you know, into the 1400s or so when Cabernet Franc was bred with Sauvignon Blanc, and that's what they call a Cabernet Sauvignon, and most people don't know that. So whenever we're talking about Ruby Cabernet, I, I like to tell that part of the story because Ruby Cabernet is a hybrid of Cabernet Sauvignon and Carignan. And Carignan, yeah. Um, and what's interesting is our Ruby Cabernet, you know, if you were to blind taste it perhaps with some of the cooler climate Cab Francs. Uh, Cab Franc would technically be Ruby Cabernet's grandfather, but I get very similar aromas and flavors from uh, you know coastal Cab Francs, which is very interesting. Has a lot of uh, Cabernet Sauvignon character, obviously.
obviously. Um, just a lot of Bordeaux character. And the reason why it was so popular here is because the large wineries uh, were using it to blend into Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, to give it more Bordeaux characteristics. I'll tell you what, I, I've been seeing a little bit more Ruby Cabernet, and I just want to encourage you all to try that varietal if you see it. It's something you, you, you won't see very often, but seek it out. It's a varietal I just love. But uh, Ruby Cab is the love child of Cabernet Sauvignon and Carignan. In fact, that night that they got together and made Ruby Cab, somebody said, what's all that Carignan up there? <laughs> anyway. The rest is history. It's, it's suffice to say that Cabernet Sauvignon had a crush on Carignan. And by the way, as you said earlier, Cabernet Sauvignon, the product of an illicit affair between Sauvignon Blanc and Cabernet Franc. Yes. Yeah. And Cabernet Franc, now do you grow that? I do not. I do. I'd like to. I think we could do it well here. I bet you could. That's another wine that I'm really encouraging people to seek out Cab Franc yep. because let's put it in perspective Cab Franc was the big daddy in Bordeaux long before Cabernet Sauvignon came and kicked uh, his own father in the teeth sure you know and kicked him out of the way but Cab Franc is as beautiful a wine as you're ever going to drink okay we really digressed here so 12 to 15 different varietals wines that you make sure and going back to Rod for a second no regrets then about getting into the fine wine business no not at all I mean that's kind of fun it's interesting it's something different it's not boring was it a hobby sure. or did you see it as a potentially strong profit center for your businesses no i think i got into it because uh, i'd go to a lot of places and people would think that you know a 50 dollars, 60 dollars bottle of wine from napa was the cat's meow and, and i felt that you know we could probably do something like that and that was kind of the fun is trying to create something as well as some of the better places and uh, charge you a lot less money for it. Okay, but I want to talk about that because I think there may have been times and even now where you all are maybe just a tad bit apologetic about coming from the Central Valley. I know earlier on, Suzanne, you sort of made mention of that, and I want to see what it's going to take for you all to stand up and pound your chest and say, we'll take on Napa any day, any time. Absolutely. And we are guilty of sounding apologetic. But the more we sell our wine to clients, to restaurants, to retailers, the more we feel so confident. Like Rod always says, we are Napa quality, if not better than Napa. I'm going to say right, we now, are now better you, than now Napa you're, quality. You know, okay, all you right. can tell well, she's in the marketing department. Yeah, and by the way, we are heard loud and clear in Napa and Sonoma. So somebody's going to throw down the gauntlet throw for that down. one. We, okay. we, friends of mine up there that yes. would agree with her. All right, so, yes. so tell you what, let's do this. Let's set up a side-by-side -side blind tasting. I'd love okay? to do that. We, we would love, love to do that. The Judgment back, of Mendota? Like yes. That. Really? Love okay. That. And you know, I'd like to say going back a little bit to how far out we are, I absolutely love to tell people we are a destination. We truly are a destination. And as you come out here, you pass a lot of fields, fruit and vegetables out here. And people say, oh, there's a winery out there? Well, yes, there's a fantastic winery out there. We are the only winery out there. We are a destination, but you will feel like you're in Italy. All right. So we got to take a break. But now everybody's all fired up here. Look at their, <laughs> like the veins are standing out in their foreheads. But I got a great idea. We're going to talk about it, but we got to take a break. We're at the Cardella Winery in Mendota, California. They're really rocking the wine world right now and are ready to take on the top winemakers in Napa. We'll get to that in just a second. Here on Grape Encounters Radio. 
Kick off the summer with us in San Luis Obispo Wine Country. Join us for Roll Out the Barrels weekend, June 23rd through 26th. Taste world-class wines and bites from local chefs and vintners at Thursday evening's Barrels in the Plaza with live music by Damon Castillo Band. Then on Friday, indulge at our Taste the Coast Winemaker Dinner. It's adventures in wine country all weekend long with vineyard tours, barrel samples, wine specials, and so much more. Stay in San Luis Obispo and save 20% on tickets. Visit slowwine.com or call 541-5868. That's slowwine.com. For years, I seem to pour more wine down the drain than into my glass. I love great wine, but hate how quickly it goes bad. Now, for about the cost of a few good bottles, I pour as much as I want of whatever I want, whenever I want, with my Coravin from GrapeEncounters.com. Take a sip today, have a glass next month, and save the rest for a few years without removing the cork. Enjoy wine on your own terms with the remarkable Coravin from GrapeEncounters.com. As most of our listeners probably know, Grape Encounters Radio is based in Atascadero, California, in the heart of the Central Coast wine country. Though we broadcast from all over the world, you have to call someplace home. And we've chosen Atascadero because it's the epitome of what wine country living should be. It's also the gateway to a broad range of awesome wine country experiences, including one of the very best wine festivals you'll ever attend. That wine festival is the Atascadero Lakeside Wine Festival, which will be taking place on Saturday, June 25th, but will be preceded by the Mayor's Winemaking Dinner on Friday the 24th and followed by Sunday Fun Day, where local wineries, breweries, and cideries will be offering big discounts and waiving tasting fees when you show your festival ticket. No matter where you are, I think you'll find this an event to really remember. And I will personally be there to visit with you and help you navigate our amazing wine country. For more information, log on to AtascaderoWineCountry.com. Big, fun, and chatty. This is Grape Encounters Radio. Here's David Wilson. And I've got wine on my mind. Time flies when you're drinking great wine. I'm drinking this amazing Merlot that I have not tasted from the Cardella Winery in Mendota, California, where uh, Suzanne Palazzo, who is head of marketing here, just threw down the gauntlet and decided that the only fine winemaking winery in the Central Valley that I'm aware of is going to take on anybody in Napa Valley. Is that what I'm to understand? That's right. Okay, so here's the deal. I have lots and lots and lots of winemaking listeners in Napa and Sonoma. So you heard it, you know, if you are shaking in your boots right now in Napa or Sonoma and you want to go head to head in a blind tasting with a winery in Mendota, California, let me know. Hey, just go to grapeencounters.com. You can send me an email there. And, you know, let's take Suzanne up on our challenge. Now, you're not shaking in your boots. Look at, you're confident. Very confident. You you have nothing to lose, actually, because, you know, if you lost, they'd say, well, it was Mendota versus Napa, right? But if you win, then there's the possibility that Mendota someday will become what Napa is now. Absolutely. Okay, very, it's all very interesting, and it happened right here on Grape Encounters Radio. All right, so we just have a few minutes left, and again, I'm sitting with Rod and Nathan Cardella at the Cardella Winery. 
history, one of the great discoveries that I have come upon in my wine career and Suzanne throw down the gauntlet Palazzo, who is absolutely fearless. So we just have a couple minutes left, but I really want to pick your brain about what you think the prospects for this area might be. And what does this say about the possibilities of there being more places like this that could, in fact, someday be a Napa Valley or Sonoma? I mean, I realize that you have to grow grapes much differently here. But once you figure it out, is the sky the limit, Rod? Well, I think there's a lot to figure it out. It's kind of like cooking food, you know. If you have excellent food, fresh food, you can be a pretty good cook. If you've got so-so food, it takes a good cook to turn out a, a great meal. And I think with our quality of our grapes here, we have that quality, but I think you have to be an excellent winemaker to get that. Well, do you have one of those excellent winemakers around here? Well, I sign his check every week. You sign his check? He doesn't work for free? No? No, he does not. How impressed are you with this team, and how fun is it for you to work with family? Well, I think that's what it's all about. I mean, if I can make money doing things and, and, and use all the people in my family, I've got six kids. Two of them work here on the ranch, and it's very rewarding to have them. I'd like to get the other ones to work out here, too, but there's only so much work that is out here. But the wine deal is very rewarding because every place you go around Fresno, around this area, you get compliments, and you know that... Your son did the work. And obviously, you're in the wine business in a very big way. You're producing a massive amount of grapes. And probably every single person listening to this show at one point or another has consumed something, you know, that's at least in part made with juices that you've produced here on this property. I mean, that's a fairly safe bet, is it not? That's a safe bet on that, safe bet on almonds, safe bet on uh, canning tomatoes. This ranch is 3,500 acres. Oh, so we were only just talking about the grape portion at 800 acres. Right. So how big is the whole ranch? 3,500 acres. 3,500 acres. And so on Almonds, you say almonds, I say almonds. Do you have tomatoes or tomatoes here? <laughs> tomatoes. You have tomatoes here, okay. Canning tomatoes. Canning tomatoes. Yes. And can you say what brand they go out under? Uh, they go to Hunts, they go to Escalon, and they go to Tomatec. Wow. So how proud are you of your son and his winemaking abilities? Because he's got a great education under his belt, and he obviously knows what he's doing. Like I said before, I'm very, very proud of it. Uh, like I said, you can go different places, and you see your wine. You know that your son did that. It's very rewarding for me. and makes me feel like... You know, there's some things in life I did right. Nathan, do you ever think to yourself, it might be fun to go to a place like Napa or some other better known winemaking region and make wine there? Or is it fun to kind of look at your life as having the possibility of really being a pioneer? I mean, honestly, what goes through the, your head? The latter. You know, when I was at Fresno State, it was myself and one other guy that was graduating that was going to stick in the Salmon Valley to produce wine. Everyone else was going back to their vineyards in the coast and Northern California. There was, you know, kids going back to France. They came all the way from France to go to school at Fresno State, world-class wine school. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And, you know, I left that school with a chip on my shoulder because people said you couldn't make good wine here. And I 
I've carried that ever since. And I, no, I, I, to answer your question, I don't have a desire. I mean, I guess the winemaker in me wants to produce fruit from everywhere. But in terms of, you know, where the passion comes from and, and putting the all the hard work into producing a wine with a particular brand, I, I only want our wines to come, you know, from San Joaquin Valley fruit off of our vineyards. And, you know, there are other wineries here. There's about 20 of us now. And I'm on the board of an organization that represents us. And uh, we've been making wine here as, as So a, why didn't you guys stop me when I said you're the only one making fine wine here? I'm not going to disagree with you. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, okay. But, but you but didn't say fine wine. Okay. I do not, not want to take away from the, what the other guys are doing here. Yeah. Uh, in the last 15 years, the quality of the wine here from the small producers has increased dramatically. And I would like to think that we have a large part in that. You know, we all talk and we, we, we trade secrets and things like that. But yeah, I like to think we're doing it the best. So I would say this, that because of the very different climate that you have here, there's going to be some very big variations between the closeness to varietal character of wines, you know, let's say a Barbera made in Italy versus one made here in Mendota. I have had people say to me that they won't buy a particular wine, even though it's delicious, because it's not true to varietal character. How do you address that? Does it matter? I'm okay with that. You know, I'm around a lot of wine, and there's only two varieties that I can pick out with about 90% certainty, which is Pinot Noir and, and Zinfandel. But, you know, the, the thing is, is to me, varietal character is directly re- relational towards the wine's terroir. So, you know, the soil and the climate that it's grown in. So if we're talking varietal character, perhaps our idea of varietal character is what we're used to drinking because that's what's out on the market. So an Italian Barbera will taste different than a Mendota San Joaquin Valley Barbera, which will taste different than a Santa Barbara Barbera or, or an Amador County Barbera. And to me, they should. That's the fun part about wine. Well, that is exactly correct. People have to get over this. When all is said and done, what matters most is, do you love the wine? And if you love the wine, then, you know, isn't that all that matters? There's not too many things that you consume on a day-to-day basis where you can understand the story behind it and literally consume a product that's got a different story, you know, every day of the week. All right. For those who want to find out more about Cardella, how do you do that? You can go up to cardellawinery.com. That is going to do it for Grape Encounters today. I so appreciate you guys being on. Really a pleasure sitting out here with Rod, Nathan, and Suzanne at the Cardella Winery in Mendota, California. We will be back here next week. And in the meantime, go out and do a little discovery. You might be very surprised at what you find. We'll see you next week. 